What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on the Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. What's good, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, we're talking all things resident orcas and salmon with my friends Sandy Spears and Lucy Larkin. Lucy, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How about you, Tim? Good. If we can get all these technical difficulties out of the way. Right. And uh, Sandy, how are you? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, a little crammed in here. I can't see everybody or hear everybody correctly today, but uh, that's the way of the gloom tomb. You two are in a group um, called the Snake River Savers, correct? Yes. And how long have you guys participated in that group? Two and a half years. Yeah, it's been about uh, a year and a half for myself. Yeah, and what prompted you to get involved? Well, I am sadly not a Pacific Northwest native, so I've always wanted to um, just kind of be a part of everything. So moved up into the area, and I've always been passionate about orcas and wanting to just make a difference. And so I happened to find Snake River Savers on social media, and I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. So I signed up, and a year and a half later, here I am. And yourself? So I heard a quote once. Um, that we are making the decision for every generation after us whether or not certain species survive. And um, I've always kept that in my mind. I got an email from Endangered Species Coalition, which is the parent to this volunteer group, and saw that they were looking for people to help. And so I decided it's more satisfying for me to do this than some other stuff I can do in my free time. Right on. Do you both eat salmon? No. I'm a vegetarian, and that includes fish. Oh, okay. I'm a bit of a pescatarian, and salmon's probably one of my favorites, but so is it for orcas and bears, too, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. Your job is basically to raise awareness about the extinction of the salmon and the removal of the dams and how it affects both the salmon population and the orca population. Is that a correct statement? Yes. Yes. So how do we go about educating the general public about the Snake River dams? There's, I believe, four of them, the Lower Granite, the Ice Harbor, Lower Monumental, and uh, Little Goose. Little Goose. 
four dams that have been there relatively, what, 75 years? Started in the 50s, and the last one was finished in the early 70s. So they're all over 50 years old. And there's more than just those, correct? Those are just on the lower section of the Snake River. So, you know, there's like 400 barrier structures in the Pacific Northwest, and you can have a lot of definition what a dam is. But, yeah, of high-functioning dams, below the salmon have to swim through those four lower dams, and then they have to keep going through four more on the Columbia River before they go out to the ocean. So they have to go through eight dams. So... They come back to spawn, and then they go out to sea from from there, and they climb through those dams. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. In order to get back to their spawning grounds, that's where they have to travel back through the eight dams. So the lower four have been targeted because of multiple reasons. Um, you know, the age, the fact that they're not being used for what they were uh, in the past, such as uh, barge, uh, electricity, and transportation. So those ones have been triggered to be removed because if the sam- if that salmon run only had four to get over, it would be significantly different. Like they would be able to be have a standing chance. Yeah. So there's a tributary that before it, you go up the Columbia River and if they turn towards John Day or Yakima, they only have to go to three or four dams. Um, and those, the return rates are much higher than those trying to get up the Snake River because they have fewer dams. Now those dams are there for high Hydrogen power? Hydropower. Hydropower. And they're not being used for that currently? They are, but they produce just a a very fraction amount of the electricity that uh, is actually, like, generated for the Pacific Northwest. Well, I had heard that those dams generate enough power for 800,000 homes along the river. So they produce 4% of the power use. My husband was in the power generation business for 20 years. It's a very complicated topic, and I had him look over the information. And they produce power when the water flows off, and that's from March to June. Well, when do we need power? We need it, and that's it doesn't match our usage needs. So solar could match those so much better. And so they are providing power, but they're going to cost a lot to repair because they're over 50 years old. And Right now in the queue, the renewable energy queue, um, in the final permitting process, there's enough renewables coming online to replace the energy produced by those four dams. Such as uh, wind power and solar, solar and stuff? And demand response, and there's more efficiency um, um, in terms of trading and how they're managed. Not just turning off your light bulb efficiency, but in how the systems run. And hydropower, uh, one of the big, um, I guess, uh, non-environmentally friendly things about it is that uh, they do produce and emit methane because it's standing water. And so they're like a lot of people think, oh, yeah, hydropower, you know, it's very green. It's not. Um, so because the, the, the river is not free flowing, the water is stagnant, produces methane. And then that also leads to the fact that the uh, water of the rivers is hotter than normal. And so not only do the salmon struggle to get over the dams, they struggle with the temperature of that water. Um, and so there's a, always, I believe it's a weekly report uh, called the Hot Water Report that 
comes out um, from the uh, coalition of organizations that are working to remove the dams and it reports on each each of the areas and they are over 70 degrees now and so normally it's like 60 68 max if that and so mm-hmm. that's even another another factor yeah yeah there's a lot of pros and cons and i think i'll probably oscillate between both because being a bystander i, I want people to make their own decision left or right um up or down um that that water the the hot water is definitely an issue it i think the dams also make the lakes around there more shallow and that leads to predator predators coming and getting the salmon the the lakes heating up way too hot for the the salmon to even live in and a whole host of problems when you when we're talking about hydropower um you know I, I, it, the whole electric generation, I feel like there's there's some swaps sometimes that we perhaps are swapping one evil for another evil with the hope that down the road um, it makes a, a, a better situation out of it. Um, and I think I've talked about that with the coal, cobalt mining in the Congo and our cell phones and our computers and the EV um, batteries and such as, as, as such. When it comes to swapping out the hydropower, you know, it may be 4% of the energy, but it's still 800,000 homes around that river. It, I had heard a stat that um, in the Wall Street Journal that said that it would take 6,000 acres of solar panels to put up at a cost of anywhere from, well, I don't want to quote a cost, but... I mean, I'm thinking the removal of the dams and changing the energy structure has to be way up in the billions of dollars. Yeah, so the pricing for all the services that are to be replaced, and they are replaceable according to the report that came out last August from Inslee and Murray, they are replaceable. Um, It's irrigation, transportation, and hydropower, and electricity. Um, They are replaceable and... um, it's just a matter of choices that we want to make. And there's, there's not, it's not as if leaving the dams in place is a good thing either because of climate change. Um, we're, we're not, they're not sure that it's going to be, be able to provide power at some points. It can almost go dry and you need certain water. It serves as a battery storage, and that's why some people are in favor of it. And they adjust the water coming through, like they'll just block, turn off the turbines, raise the level of water, and then save that electricity for when they need the power. But if the climate is changing, they're not going to have that flexibility anymore. And those dams are 50 years old. So the money that we could do that would need to replace the turbines, we can put into other resources. Um, I mean, the they are going extinct. There's 27 sub-habitats of salmon, and, le- and almost 50% of them are at quasi-extinction level, which pretty much means they're already going to go extinct. There's less than 50 juveniles. So even, even the Inslee and Murray report taking into all the factors are saying that they are replaceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand the salmon and the orca argument I think completely. I think there's other arguments that are made. 
such as transportation. Um, there's a lot of wheat that's transferred by boat down the river, and the dams allow the boats to have the ability to transport things up and down the river. Mm-hmm. Um, w- wouldn't that change a lot and then put a lot of that transportation back on the road on trucks and railroads and stuff like that? Yeah, so the amount of goods that have been transported has since um, in the last 20 years has gone down 75%. There's no more petroleum products above the Ice Harbor Dam. It's all of the Columbia. The usage has gone down. The only product really left is wheat. And what I find so interesting to me is it's a huge, for every 15 cents that those shippers are paying, you and I, the federal tax dollars, are paying a dollar. Wow. And so is that really fair? And a lot of times people are saying, I don't like big government. Some of the same people that say, I don't want to remove these because it hurts jobs. This whole thing has been a giant government subsidy to those transportation people for all these years. And maybe it's time for them not, you know, to pay their own way now, you know? So let's get back to the salmon and extinction. There's a lot of causes for that extinction, not just the dams. Do we have, I remember in the fifties, there was probably 130,000 salmon uh, going up the river to spawn. And recently I think I saw something that it had gone down to about 10,000, which is drastic for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, What is it looking like currently with the return on the salmon and are we tracking, uh, tracking that with tagging of fish or how do, how does that count even come about? So I'm going to answer part of it and um, punt to Lucy or the other part. Um, I know the return rates are 0.5% to 1% and just to keep them surviving, it needs to be two to 4%. And then, and you're talking about the fish that were born there and returning. Correct. And then four to six percent if we wanted to actually move towards recovery. And so the actual numbers, I've read it a lot and I can't bring to my head what the numbers are. Don't worry, we don't fact check here (laughs) on the bystander. Well, I've got this here that says 77 percent of spring and summer Chinook populations are predicted to be at or below 50 spawners by 2025. And that's if we just keep business as usual. And so those numbers um, are getting to the quasi extinction threshold. Um, And so that is all of the, the runs that branch off from the Snake River. So so if you know if things stay the way they are, it's we're we're going to lose those salmon and they will go extinct. And these are mostly sockeye or chinook. 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 Yeah, sockeye are having a terrible problem too. All of them. And well, I just know since I was a kid going into the Hiram Locks in Ballard and seeing you know hundred pound salmon go up those fish ladders for years and years and then returning. Um, five, ten years later, seeing no fish at those ladders. Yeah. Right. And the Snake River is, um, I mean, it's only one of many. So it's definitely a problem that has been through the Pacific Northwest over the last few years. And even even to shed light on, like, the, the Elwha Dam removal, like, there has been significant impact in that. So we've seen previous, previous dams be removed and um, success happen for those species to be able to return. I hike up by the Elwha quite a bit, and um, what I've seen is, like, it's still not 
bountiful. Right. Is there like a certain period of time after you, what's the technical term they, when they're taking out these dams? Um, breach. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. Breach the dam. <laughs> um, you know, there's sediment and log jams and, you know, the, Bruce Lee said, be like water, always adapting and moving, you know, forward. Uh, a, ri- a river does that. And what kind of time frame are we talking about a recovery from a breach dam? So I was reading about the Elwa Dam, and there, that's a larger dam. There's some smaller dam systems. And um, I read somewhere that it's like they're expecting a 20 to 30-year recovery Again, I can't recall the numbers. It was something like 7,000 before, and now they have 45,000. It has been 10 years since the breaching the Owa Dam. So, um, yeah, that's all I can say that's for that. That's pretty good then. Yeah, and the sedimentation, they said, went through the system faster than they thought. Um, but I wanted to go back a little bit more to um, some more misconceptions about this. Yeah, please do, Sandy. I'm, so, I'm here to learn. Yeah. Um, that some some of the arguments coming out are the Sam are doing fine, and I don't know what alternate reality they're in, but if you look at <laughs> Inslee Murray's report, I mean, politically it's hard for them to come out, and they did NOAA, American Fisheries, which is a coalition of international, even though the Americans in the name, international experts, they're like, they are going extinct. They're doing horrible um, and more about the problems we've referenced. Lucy was talking about the methane, um, but the, if you look at how many um, how many salmon are killed, at sixty to eighty percent are from the dams. There is a problem with pollution. There is a problem with overfishing, but the core issue is the dams. It takes um, a fish in the Upper Snake River region. Which I mean, it depends on where you define it. It starts. The Snake River begins in the um, near Lake Jackson and goes, makes a sea in the bottom of Idaho, comes up the Oregon border, and then goes into Washington. And right when they go into Washington, are the four dams. It the average salmon would take a week to go all the way out to the ocean, and now it's taking forty days. And so what Lucy was saying is like hovering behind the dam in the warm water. They're subject to predation. The warm water in two thousand fifteen. One of the heat waves killed off every sockeye they could find that was in the reservoir. They all died. Um, And you can't significantly alter a physical, chemical, and biological system like that and not expect to have problems. More on um, storage behind. If you're lowering and raising the water level suddenly, and the fish can't adapt to that either. They might be laying eggs on the edge of the reservoir or doing things and all of a sudden they're drowned or all of a sudden they're above their, the, the water level just dropped. So um, what we're doing isn't working. They're all endangered. Not a single one has improved after spending an, if you just for inflation, $26 billion. Now you talked about really encouraging people to talk to your senators and that, there is a bill coming up on uh, Biden's watch here, and it sounds like Biden is committed to removal of these dams, and there's a lot of pushback. Um, is 
this a scientific argument or a political argument? Why or why not we've done this with the dams? Is there a political motivation to have the dams? Is there enough scientific fact to change the naysayers that this is really, you know, because there's a lot of climate deniers, right? Um, and we could easily just say the population is falling out for numerous reasons, um, not just the dam. And we can make up our reasons like, hey, we made it more accessible for the ladders for the fish to go through their passage or whatever. Do you think it's a, a political or a scientific move that we're finally changing the narrative or trying to with this bill that Ins- Jay Inslee and Patty Murray has put in front of Biden? There's been a lot of push with it that it's been the science is clear. So I would say it's definitely like a scientific, um, you know, push and whatnot. And it's gained a lot of ground. I mean, this has been, you know, in the works for like 20 plus years that some people have been working on this. Um, So, I mean, depends on, I guess I would say it depends on who you talk to if they think it's political, but there's definitely science there. And there's just been, you know, a lot of research um, I have in front of me here that, uh, the cause of mortality um, between dams and then uh, predators such as sea lions, birds, or other species, and then harvest, so that 70 percent, uh, 70 of the impact to the Snake River Wild Spring Chinook salmon is from the dams, where only 20% is from other predators such as sea lions or birds, and then even uh, 10% from harvest um, is listed here. So there's been, you know, like a lot of research that has been done. So I would say it's definitely like a uh, science-backed move that this is gaining ground. Would you agree with that, Sandy? absolutely. And yeah, and I mean, they're dying in front of us. I mean, it's like at some point we can use the word science and look at all these statistics. It's like there's no more fish. It's just like a sense of connecting with reality. And so for people to say they're doing well is, so what would be the motivation for not moving in? I think generally human nature, you know, it's inertia. It's hard to remove something. It's hard to remove um, irrigation services, which is happening off Ice Harbor. There's definitely some replacement services that need to go into effect, and people need to be compensated for that. You know, once you put into servants, the government built these dams. You know, people have begun to make a living off of that, and it's really hard to remove that. And in terms of the economic value, I mean, a lot of the regions that they had said would just explode doing so well, the, the Lewiston area has not done that well economically, but there's always going to be some people with jobs. And, but I, I mean, and it's easy for me to say that if I'm not the barge ship driver, but there's new jobs created. It's not like there's going to be new rail jobs. They have to extend rail lines in certain ways um, as a result of this. So that's a job creation that, that should be celebrated as something good. Politically, I worry because um, Biden needs to make the decision to do this. And there's different views on whether or not Congress is going to have to approve this. Um, And that's what really disturbs me because everything has become so politicized, even something as basic as biodiversity. I know Congress hasn't been great about the Endangered Species Act recently. Even that has become politicized. And that's super unfortunate. Um, But... um, Republican Congressman Mike Simpson is the guy that got this ball rolling a couple of years ago. He was the first person because um, he s- sees how important 
fishing is to the psyche and and tourism for Idaho. And he, as a Republican, was the one that initiated this or reinitiated the momentum. Okay. Um, what are the impacts of a dam removal on the agricultural scene up and down the river? I mean, it is an impact, but there isn't just, you know, remove the dams and just leave people high and dry. That's where, you know, part of the the um, study that has come out is like, okay, these are the areas that um, would need to be replaced. And these are things that the, uh, so such as transportation, um, uh, energy, uh and irrigation. Uh, irrigation, thank you, that, you know, the, the dam does provide these three things. And so that is definitely, mm, I don't know if, like, uh, people, like, a fear, but there is a lot of research and, you, you know, planning out for to put um, alternatives in place for when the dams do come down. So it would be to make sure that those people are set up for success and to not just leave them alone and to figure it out on their own. Yeah, the um, the report put out is called the um, is replacements report and recommendations. All right, there's I think I got that in the right order. And if you read through it, it, the level of detail in terms of trying to understand all the issues and all the who needs to be reimbursed and how many wells need to be drilled and how deep the wells should be and who owns the wells. They've put that all in the report, and they are talking about and it's the the cost of reimbursing folks for that. Even the um, it's like ten to thirty billion could be the cost. So I know that there's one senator who's come out in favor, and one that's a little shyer. And I know um, no one's going to do this without getting some pushback. So they're not going to not think through all those issues. And that report's pretty detailed. Well, do you think it's people just don't like change? You know, like when coal mining went away in some places, there was real reluctance to learn a new trade. Um, And you can mine coal or you can mine gold or you can mine lots of different things. But the sense of security of always having that same routine, that same job, a lot of people like. And let's say somebody's in uh, transportation and they constantly do the barge with the weed on it on, on the river. And then all of a sudden that stops and it goes to a railroad or 18 wheeler or something like that. Then their life and their livelihood changes. Right. Although they could still be in transportation and just learn a new skill, railroad, 18 wheeler truck driver or something like that. I know that's not the best example of impact, but I think there's lots of things. You talk about hydropower, somebody may be skilled in that and not in solar and not want to change over. And, you know, if we take 6,000 acres of space to put solar panels up, does that change some other biodiversity and such? So people question change, so it's easier just not to change at times. Do you think that's a big part of why this is dragging on so long? I would say definitely. I think just, um, I always like thinking like, 
I want to say existential, but just thinking about people in general and just like the common common thoughts of people. And I think people are definitely just in general, anything, not even even outside of the Snake River dams, people are afraid of change because it's uncomfortable, it's unsure, um, it's it's scary. Um, and I feel like that's a good a good time to highlight that. Uh, the the Northwest tribes have already been impacted by that change, that they lost their their fishing areas, their main you know they they had the right in with the treaties to be uh, have access to fishing uh, grounds and the the fishing runs of their land of their ancestors, and so they've been impacted by that. They've seen that change, um, and <laughs> I mean. It, it's change is scary, and now it's been identified that hey, this, the salmon's going to run out. So I don't. It's almost like we need to adapt. We need to get ready for that change too. And it's just it's just something that uh, needs to. Needs it's to inevitable, happen. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is uncomfortable. I've I've had so much change in like my personal life, and it is scary. But I know that's you know not not even comparable. But just as human psyche in general, we are afraid of change, and it's just terrifying. But once we get there, it it always works out in the end. Yeah. So I think with the transition off of coal into renewable energies, we we need to not be insensitive to someone who's just trying to, you know, there needs to be job training programs and like that are incentivized to change. Right. And like, here's a training program. Here's a job. It needs to be really specific. If you're a 40 year old person trying to make your mortgage, I think that it's the nice thing to do, but people have been heard all the way around that the Nez Pierce tribes, all these tribes, I mean, what we did to them was horrific. We violated, it's in the Constitution, we're supposed to honor our treaties. We didn't honor our treaty with them at all. We took away, there was like, again, the numbers here, millions of acres, and they got 55,000, then they found gold or something, something about their land. So they drove them off even on the land that they promised them, and the Indians came, the Nez Pierce tribe came back and tried to fight them off, and the, the U.S. military drove them away up into Canada. I mean, they were awful. And this was their livelihood oh, yeah. and their life. And our, the archaeological, archaeological, archaeology, archaeological, sites, yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> One of those goes back 16,000 years. They've been here a lot longer. These dams have been here for 50 years. So. Yeah. yeah but we gave them casinos. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. a horrible argument. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And then you still see people complain about the overfishing and the whaling and stuff like that, you know, and, uh, and that's definitely a whole, a whole other, uh, topic too. And, um, it's cultural, we, right? Right. And we can get, well, and even, even outside of cultural, like there's even people that say that there's just overfishing, uh, uh, and like trawling that's happening on like Alaska area. That's, also a problem, but I mean, yeah, we got to think about the impact. Is it is it commercial fishing or tribal netting? You know, um, right? And I would say commercial fishing, and that's like a whole a whole other can of worms. And so that's where us in the Snake River Savers, you know, we're a little more focused on the tribal rights and uh, the Snake River dam dams and the Snake River Run uh, in particular. Yeah, I think thirty. It's in terms of commercial fisheries. 
32%, the Columbia Basin provides 32% of the percentage of food for commercial fisheries. So they're being impacted as well. Um, in addition, so people are being hurt all the way around. Yeah, wasn't the Nez Pierce tribe, didn't, wasn't there a U.S. mandate or something to teach them English and they sent the kids to Canada? I don't know that. And then they they just killed all the kids. <gasps> oh, I mean, yeah, I feel there was like, a found, yeah. there was an article recently, three or four hundred kids in a school up there that they found massive graves and such in Canada. Wow! Yeah, somebody fact checked that. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I, I feel like I just brought the mood down. <laughs> <laughs> I, um. Can I throw out something? I'd yeah, like please. To share? Okay. Um, share away. Okay. I want people to get involved, and we would like to share different things that we have done to um, as volunteers to help with this issue and maybe provide like a couple of different kinds of things that we've done to get involved so that a listener who wants to might go, oh, that, I track with that, or I track with that, or give, give folks who might be listening an idea. Yeah, that'd be great. Lucy's I mean, Lucy's queen of so queen of what volunteers volunteerism. <laughs> I mean, sure, <laughs> um, but no. Uh, one of our biggest highlights uh, that we did was we had um, like a I guess you want to call it like a congressional meeting with a staff member of Senator uh, Murray, and so that was that was you know we're volunteers, but we had that time set up and we were able to voice our opinions, and I think that's just one of the biggest things is letting your voice be heard, and if you can if you're able to take a stand on something and to um yeah just you know be passionate about it that's one of the biggest things a a lot of other things that we've done too is uh just speaking with the general public we actually have a a tabling event set up for tomorrow august 12th at the sculpture garden um uh, with the seattle art museum just to you know talk to people that are out and about and to let them know like who they can talk to and to say how important uh, removing the dams is um another fun thing that we've done and we're looking to do a little more is even just uh, hanging out on the ferries and talking to individuals like we um, go in pairs and just uh, talk to people make sure that they're aware and to encourage them to also make their voices heard and to reach out Um, we've got uh, we've got these really cool stickers that say breach the dams and has an orca on it and a text link um, that Currently, it is submitting a comment to uh, President Biden, and so there is action that there'll be a report that comes out for that. But just a, a lot of a lot of uh, hearing your letting your voice be heard, and just speaking up for uh, those that necessarily can't be heard. And if you don't have time to do anything, everyone has time to make one phone call. Just call your state rep. Say who represents me. Google who represents me. Washington State. If you don't know. One quick phone call. That's the most powerful thing you could do to our senators, Murray, Cantwell, or your state reps as well. Um, So lobbying, uh, tabling, social media. What is tabling? Tabling is we go to an event where you and I met. We were at 4th of July, had the table out, Mm. and you are at some public event, maybe in front of the grocery store, and you hand out flyers to whoever might be interested. Um, we've done parades with giant 
orcas you were carrying the the salmon yep, the inflatables <laughs> we also we also work with backbone campaign uh they're stationed off of vashon and they they're an amazing group as well so they're a part of uh essentially the coalition and uh they've created these incredible inflatables and they literally created them from scratch and it's uh a scale model the the biggest orca is a scale model of Tahlequah j35 uh, one of our southern resident orcas um, and they've also got a salmon, and they've got a baby uh, orca as well. So those those definitely make their rounds. Backbone Backbone campaign is incredible. And our mailing list, Endangered Species Coalition, that will provide you um, actionable items. Um, if you just get on there, they say this is the moment. And so speaking of, right now this is a moment to call. Your specific ask when you call is to ask, call Senator Murray, if you're in Washington State, Senator Cantwell or your Oregon senators, if you're hearing this from Oregon, and call them and say the Biden administration is about to put out a report on this issue. Please use your power and influence to influence the Biden administration to follow through with the report that Inslee Murray just put out, removing the Snake River Salmon Dam and doing the replacement services like immediately because they're about to go extinct. Can you... Um help put together some links and phone numbers that we can put in the story notes so people have easy access and no excuse not to do something. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Send me that on email and I'll tuck it into this podcast. Um, did you have some more? Well, and later, whenever it went, but I want to do a plug for why volunteer. What's the point of volunteering, but go ahead. No, please tell us why, why should we volunteer? Okay. What's the, the, what's the value in volunteering? Um, like on a personal level and there's like, you could say it's just, you're just doing it for yourself or what are the, and I think that's fine to do it, have personal benefits to volunteering. Um, so the, the hard stuff of volunteering, I'll start with that. And I won't lie is it's a, a punch in the gut to read some of this stuff and it's not easy. Um, and, um, and my second bummer for climate activism in this is people, not researching the issue and coming after you with irrelevant topics to kind of, instead of going, how can I engage and help and be genuinely interested, just come out with something to kind of put you down. The positive side is I get to meet people that care, that are engaged. It's, I learned skill sets that I never had to, didn't have before, like engaging in social media. My kids were like, oh my gosh, you're in charge of the social media first. And I was like, yeah, I had to get really up the curb. So I'm learning a lot of wonderful things that, translate to other parts of my life. And I think that is fine to have personal benefits from volunteerism. And I would say that the cool people I meet, like Lucy and everything that, yes, there's, it's hard to hear it, but those other values offset the negative and I feel like I'm in a net positive for volunteering. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. It's like just the people that we've met have made, you know, a serious difference. And I would say for myself too, like if anyone's, you know, driven by passion, I think for um, myself, like I stated earlier, you know, I'm not a PNW native. I'm originally from Minnesota. Um, and what really like ultimately got me into this 
was, um, well, I, I grew up a part of the Free Willy generation, so captivated by orcas from a young age. I was drawing them at the age of four with terrible uh, tail flukes. They were so inaccurate, but beside the point, I have a, a orca tattoo on my arm now, uh, planning on getting some salmon originally, but what really inspired me was uh, hearing about J35, who I already mentioned, uh, J35 Talaqua's 17 Days of Grief uh, tour. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I was literally bawling in my room in Minnesota and I was like, I want to make a difference. Tell that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those of you that don't know, J35 Tahlequah, uh, back in 2018, had a uh, calf born who passed away, uh, I believe, like within hours of being born. And so uh, I have goosebumps right now, even just recalling it. So uh, Tahlequah toured around and carried that dead baby for 17 days throughout the Salish Sea. And let me tell you, when orcas, orcas are incredible, you know, yes, they're at the top of the food chain. Um, they're, you know, looked at as wolves of the sea, but their intelligence, their um, understanding and uh, their beauty, their beauty, literally, I mean, they're keystone species up here in the PNW, you know, one of my main reasons for wanting to live up here. But the uh, display of emotions that Talaqua gave uh, for those 17 days was like, look, <laughs> this is an issue. Like, this is my dead baby. Um, and, you know, they're struggling. They only have uh, 73 um, in their in their three pods, J, K, and L. And, you know, it was mentioned earlier that we owe it to the, the tribes up here. We also owe it to the southern resident killer whales um, because we significantly impacted their numbers. I feel like I'm kind of going off on a, on a, a tangent do. here. Um, but we significantly impacted their numbers. We captured their relatives from uh, Penn Cove and uh, is the biggest one, but um, we captured their relatives throughout the 60s and 70s throughout the Salish Sea, and we put them in captivity. And like we we did that to them, and now their their food population is disappearing. Um, uh, their you know pollutants is a whole other can of worms. Um, but that's where if we can you know establish that salmon uh, population for the Snake River, which is part of their habitat out there uh, on the the west coast, if we can you know return that to proper states, like we will be able to directly impact their feeding. They will not be starving anymore. So long story story short, find that impact, that inspiration that is like, no, I want to help make that change. So that is where I have come personally. And I sit here in my uh, orca shirt, my little tail fluke necklace, um, not afraid to tell people how much I love orcas because they're incredibly, they're just like us. They're incredible, incredible beings and they deserve more. Well said. I think the volunteer benefit also if you live out here on beautiful Bainbridge Island and you've ever been on a ferry going to Seattle and on that trip, see some orcas, see an orca. And yeah. then all of a sudden the ferry boat tips because everybody goes to that <laughs> side of the boat. You know, it's a big deal. Um, up here on the South end, you know, recently beginning of summer, I believe it was, we had a pod come in and they were fishing and every car on the road stopped Everybody got out of their car. It's just a beautiful creature. Beautiful. They're incredibly captivating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got me choked up now, too. Yeah. 
and they so a lot of um, um, they're losing <laughs> loud and proud, Sandy. <laughs> when they when the they're losing their babies and um, what's that? Oh, I'm forgetting the word. But anyways, before they're born, they're dying. Uh, they're internally. Yeah, yeah. The um, so and because of um, starvation and pollu- pollution is a problem, but the number one thing is starvation. Are you, are you meaning yeah. like they're blubber? Uh, they're losing their babies before they're born. Oh, before yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the the I don't have a number, but the pregnancy rate for uh, the southern res- residents is terrible. Like yeah. there was uh, recently just two that were discovered that were born, but there's also the fact that they wait. Like researchers wait maybe like a couple of years before they actually say that you know they're a viable, they're a member of the population because their likelihood to yeah. survive is very low. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The gray whales have been. Um, washing up all over as well mm. um, because they're starving to death as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and the ocean's a big place, and to think that there's not enough food supply there, it's kind of amazing. And then you s- start thinking about the garbage, you know, and yep. and, and the drugs and the there's so much. You know, the feces spills out of the plants into the ocean. And Noise pollution. Yeah, and the oil leaks and gas leaks from the boats. And yeah, and whales are very sensitive with their hearing. And and boats come up there with the tour guides and stuff. And that stuff's got to stop as well. There's so many problems that people are just not taking seriously enough. I kind of compare it to bananas going extinct. You know, bananas feed the world and they're not, they're a seedless plant. So. Once a crop gets infested, the whole crop gets infested and it goes away. And bananas are, are close to being extinct. And we take that for granted. I mean, when COVID hit, what was the first thing that went after toilet paper? Which blew me away. I'd rather have a banana than toilet paper. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bananas were gone. Like in minutes, all the time. Couldn't keep mm-hmm. them on there. And, uh, you think all the third world countries that rely on the, that cheap food source. and I, I feel strongly... Um, if it's about it's we're still so fortunate that it's still about political will now it's not a done deal and if everyone listening to this could make that quick call to senator especially Cantwell <laughs> um that will be powerful and if enough people call people will do whatever most people want to have done hey maria we want it done <laughs> I'm sure somebody she knows hears this and yeah. gets in her ear for us. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, th- I think a, I was wondering how you guys get funded, but I was thinking of a cool idea that happened when I was a kid. The police officers in my small town, they, they all made baseball cards of themselves, basically. So you got to know your policemen in your community and you traded cards. So a policeman would come to a basketball court where we're all playing or whatever and pass out, you know, here's the canine dog, here's the policeman. And we'd say, Hey, that's officer Rob or whatever. So there was a familiarity that Mm -hmm. they knew us, we knew Mm -hmm. them. And we we were in the eighties and seventies. It's all about collecting records and baseball cards and hot wheels and, Collect, 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 collect. And I was thinking, how cool would it be if there was Orca cards <gasps> that said J35 and had the history on the back? 
There's yeah. actually the Seattle Aquarium did release. A I saw number. a couple of yeah. those. Yeah. Yeah, but no. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if they're like still going with it. But that would be a fun thing to like revamp. It'd be tough to get a picture of every orca too. That would be a fun I, task. They probably have it. Uh, I mean, there's uh, public databases that we could probably get. Uh, orca something. network. Yes, exactly. Something I follow. Love the Orca, net- Love network. Orca network. And Ken Balcom's, maybe they, his Yeah, there's classification guides out there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So how do you guys fund this volunteerism and the Orca sticker that I need to get from my water <laughs> bottle? Yes, absolutely. I know. <laughs> should have brought some. Um, so, so Endangered Species Coalition is our parent organization. Um, so okay. they they are like a majority of the funding, but we also um, like our stickers have we have a wonderful donor who has given those to us and uh, supports us and supports our cause. Um, and we uh, partnered just recently with uh, Orca Running, um, and we tabled at their event here on Bainbridge. That was great to you know talk to individuals, and we were actually um, like a, a partner partner orga- organization with them, and we. We, you know, received uh, funding directly from that. So um, we, you know, try to do things that are, you know, a lot of donation based, but to not really have like a lot of costs. So Endangered Species Coalition is our is our parent organization. And that's where people should make donations if they want to help. Yeah. Yep. We're pretty low budget what we do. Like we'll put crafts, tabling's pretty low budget. So we don't put the stickers that cost money, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of free things people can do. Um the biggest is calling our representatives right now before the Biden administration makes their announcement. So, um, but yeah, just talking about, I know on the climate side, they're like, just talk about issues. Don't not talk about it. Just bring it up. And um, it's part of our consciousness and we have to address the things in the commons. They just, there's not a lot. Businesses do a lot of great stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that, doesn't match what a business can do and we have to care for those things yeah like a lot of businesses do this cancer awareness Mm -hmm. day you know and they'll spend money on all their employees wear a cancer shirt or my kid's soccer team had a cancer awareness week where they all wore pink socks Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm constantly like displeased in that we all know cancer sucks put the money towards Finding a cure, not towards pink socks and swag for your business. Mm -hmm. So if you're a business out there, you know, do something that takes action, that makes a difference. You know, you you don't need a Camp Seymour shirt from fifth grade in your closet forever, you know. And uh, we all all are aware of certain things. Now, how do we come together? I think of it in politics, too. There's a centrist line, Bloomberg and Schultz both ran on it with the idea that 95% of the stuff we agree right down the middle. And there's a few things that make you go one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So can we highlight things that we appreciate about salmon and the snake river and the orcas? And then we'll say, okay, we got a problem with transportation. Let's say, okay, well, let's look for the solution that we can both come down the middle on that on. Yeah. But it starts in the middle, I think. Like electrifying the trucks. If there's a more shift to trucking, we can electrify the trucks. There's to think of win-win solutions that way. 
I think of engagement in four ways. I think at what is an individual, what can an individual do? Because it's not great to hear information and then not have a call to action. Not, right. And so through personal actions, I think about this with climate change, which is the same thing as saving the orcas because that matters with that too. Um, like all the personal actions that a person can take in terms of a lot of things. I won't go into all that. And the second is through businesses and calling businesses that might have an impact. Um, and Or show uh, that business how they impact the situation negatively. Right. And say, hey, is this your MO? Is this what you want to be known for? Hey, change your ways. Right. So groups that uh, have petitions like Greenpeace around what certain um, companies are doing, you can sign that to change their ways. So individual actions, this is an individual acting all these ways, but personal things you do through businesses, through um, engaging in a, a nonprofit like we are with Endangered Species Coalition. And the fourth way is directly by with politicians, office holders, and calling them. Or if you want to go more involved, if you like someone's platform on something, you know, block walking for them, or even going so far as to organize um, all the uh, all the people running for a particular office and have a panel on how to save. What, what are you doing about climate change, or what are you doing to save the salmon and orcas? And have them, and before they show up, they're going to have to do a lot of research about it, and so they look well-informed, and then that will help shape uh, how they vote. Do you, this is kind of a random thought, though. You, you, were, you used the word blubber, and there was a whole blubber industry back in the early 1900s. Do you know anything about that? Mm, like whaling industry? No, blubber was used for something yeah. industrially. Yeah. For, I, for, for lighting? Electricity? Didn't they burn it know. in their lanterns or something? Perhaps. Uh, well, yeah. and I know, uh, like, it's a big part of, like, Japanese culture, and it's um, taken, like, it's kind of, like, ramped up again. Um but, I mean, what I was referring to with blubber was um, that with the orcas, if they, so obviously a good majority of their, their bodies are made out of blubber, um, but when they um, start to starve, the toxins and poison that are uh, housed in their blubber essentially starts to poison them. Mm. And so that's... Um, what what essentially happens to them, and um, one of them one of them that most recently was observed, uh, you know, in that state was K twenty one cappuccino, who it was almost almost. We got a whale named Cappuccino. Well, not anymore. He, he died of uh. starvation. But yeah, it's uh, the Whale Museum actually uh, releases. Uh, Hold on, where's the Whale Museum? The Whale Museum is in Friday Harbor, one of my favorite places Very in the cool entire place. world. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But the Whale Museum, for all these fun names, if anybody is curious, uh, the Whale Museum does voting on all of the new whales, and so they have like a they have their you know pod and number identifier like K twenty one, but they also have a name, and so I feel like they're they're given names so that we have just like a little more of a personal connection to them. So, um, and it does depend. I know there's like Spock. Um, I think that's K20. Um, Phoenix is uh, uh, J35 Taliqua's newest uh, calf. He's uh, three years old. So just a lot of fun uh, naming schemes. But yes, uh, they're blubber. Um, so again, you know, the orcas have a lot of, a lot of, um, 
factors against them. So the pollutants that were mentioned previously uh, is stored in their fat, and then when they don't have enough salmon, they start to uh, their body starts to you know metabolize that blubber, and that's where the poisons and toxins come into play. But yes, I'm definitely going to look up what uh, they use blubber for because I did not know that. I like positive whale stories, positive whale things. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so hard to yeah. There, I heard some podcasts a while back about how the industry changed and it's obsolete now, but yeah. it used to be they'd kill a whale and then they'd drag it to shore and it takes six to eight days or something like that. No, it makes and it sense. And then they started making these new blubber boats so they could process the whale on the boat at mm. sea. Mm. You got a computer. Look it up. <laughs> Did I get Wi-Fi down here? I don't know. No, yeah. Probably not in the gloom, too. No. All right, anything else you want to put out there? Do you have an event coming up at all? Or uh, are we just really pounding Maria Cantwell into the ground and saying, absolutely. hey, yeah, she's been, do she's it been now. a little quiet, so we definitely want to hear that she supports. Um, uh, she's got she's got a lot of uh, uh, people that support her in eastern Washington, um, so there's speculation that that is why she's a little quiet. She doesn't want to um, unsettle uh, any supporters. Um, but it's, but Patty Mario talk. Oh, Patty Mario. <laughs> she authored this report, or she commissioned it. The final report with that 156 page. The the um, with Inslee with Inslee that report. Yeah. The, yeah. That's, yeah. Jay's not really well liked on the east side. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't think a lot of us are really liked on the west side either. It's I don't know. He's he's, a, he's one of the guys I meet in my neighborhood, so he's, he's all right with me. Yeah. So what can't Shout out to you, Jay. Thank yeah, you for co-authoring absolutely. this. I love Jay Inslee. Um, I. Um, Cantwell, I follow her press releases for another org I volunteer with, and she puts out, I'm funding this, that, and the other for, like, culvert repairs, which is great, and we need culvert. But the, according to Noah, the essential, the centerpiece to saving the southern resident orcas and these salmon, the centerpiece was essential, according to Noah and other groups. And another organization that was even under the Trump administration is removing the Lower Snake River dams. Um, and so Cantwell has done ancillary funding for other things, but she needs... Yeah, she's definitely a target of a lot of things. And yeah, the Snake River Salmon Run uh, at one point did per, was uh, responsible for, I don't remember the exact number, but a good significant portion of the salmon on the West Coast. So it's, yes, there's other runs, like you said, like the coverts and whatnot, um, but it would make the most significant impact. Um, and just to, you know, kind of circle back to um, people, you know, volunteering um, in that aspect and not even just volunteering, you know, making your voice heard. I know it seems like a lot of a lot of times people think, oh, what I do doesn't matter or one little call doesn't matter. It does. Like it really does. Every every single uh, voice that is heard, every, you know, n like number to, you know, the number of petition signs or whatever, whatever we have going on, like every everybody voice matters and I feel like that is something that has been lost in the past but um, it's definitely and that's what we're here you know we're to we're here to gather the voices to gather the support and to um, make sure like our politicians know that people are in support of this so 
your voice matters no matter no no matter how big or how small of uh work that you do or um uh you know action that you take it matters yeah i hope that this podcast is is something that matters allowing people to have a platform to have long discussions like this uh, about topics that need to be discussed and to get information out to people like myself that um need to learn more about my environment, my surroundings, the people that I live amongst and uh, have empathy for others. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Lucy, it was really nice meeting you at the tabling now that I have that term down. And her, Sandy, um, it's nice to meet you. Yeah. And Lucy, it was nice to meet you today as well. Nice to meet you. And thanks for having us. And thank you for doing the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you both and the amount of volunteerism and the passion that you have and the empathy that you have for the, for the fish and the biodiversity and the, and the whales. I hope you continue to make a difference and, uh, thank you both for your hard work. You've been listening to the bystander. Be kind. 